At the age of 33, Mel gave her entire divorce proceeds to a charity because of a throwaway line by her ex-husband. In this conversation, you'll hear what that line is, as well as the journey towards Mel building a multi-million dollar business. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to unpacking what it takes to live boldly amongst the busyness and mess of our world. And financial success, the money stories that we carry and the shame that might sit behind thinking about money and finances is a really critical part of what it takes to live boldly. An ex-accountant and an ex-financial planner, these days Mel Brown is a money expert and financial educator. She's the CEO of Mel Brown Courses and over 1,700 people have now been through her signature program, My Financial Adulting Plan. There are links and further practical information about some of the things that Mel talks about in this podcast in the show notes, so make sure you access those. Mel is passionate about helping women in particular develop financial literacy and achieve financial independence. She's the author of four books, including Unfuck Your Finances and Budgets Don't Work, but this one does. Plus, she's the host of her own podcast called Uncensored Money, and she's been featured in everything from the Australian Financial Review through to Vogue. In this conversation, Mel shares incredibly openly about her own money stories growing up and how long it took for her to realise that she is enough and well worth pursuing and setting into place practices that will give her financial success. Through her vulnerability and focus on her own money stories, scarcity mentality and comparison culture, Mel busts myths and lifts the shame many of us feel about money in a judgment-free way. So get ready to uncover your own money stories with the sassy, the driven and the determined Mel Brown. Mel, it is such a delight to be chatting with you. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to chat to you as well. I um, I just said to you, I have more than an hour's question to ask you, so we will see how we <laughs> go. See how, see how we can squish it in. I'll talk fast. There's a, no, there's just, I when we start to talk about money, uh, I'm background in psychology, the two go hand in hand, as you know, all too yep. well, and so there are plenty of paths that we will go down. But I want to start with your story, and gonna mm. we're going to dive straight in. One part of your story is at the age of 33, you gave your entire divorce proceedings to a charity as a result mm-hmm. of a throwaway line by your ex-husband. So my question is two parts. What mm. was the line? And <laughs> <laughs> yep. take yourself back to that moment. What was the story that was playing out in the lead up to that decision? So the line was, you'll never make it on your own, uh, which And I always like to preface that with saying my husband's not, my ex-husband was not a cruel bloke. Uh, You know, he, yes, there were issues that meant the marriage obviously broke down. But when you're emotional, you say things that you might have said before. And I gut reacted to that because I'm extraordinarily independent. Um, And I'm also that person that if you tell me I can't do something, then I really want to show you that I can. So I'm Western suburbs of Sydney, grew up very scrappy um, and really having to do it on my own. So I think that really got under my skin. Like of everything he could have said, that really got (laughs) under my skin. 
So I didn't just take the divorce proceeds. I took, I stripped every cent from all of my bank accounts. So business bank account, personal bank account, so that he could never say, you only got there because of what you started with. I never wanted that. Yeah. So the story of the time of was that I can make it on my own and I'm going to show you. I mean, I, I do resemble that remark around, yeah. you know, the independence <laughs> of yeah. I'm going to do it. And the more you show me that, the, the fire in, in the belly around that time. Yeah. And I just remember being very hurt and angry. And it's kind of that wounded animal where you just lash out. You know, if you see rescue dogs, they that, you know, they'll often bite at the person that's trying to help them. That was so me. I was so wounded and I just wanted to write. (laughs) It was was almost the best and the worst thing he could have said to fire me up. (laughs) You touched on you grew up in, in Western Sydney. Tell me a little bit about your story. So I grew up from a very, um, Western Sydney traditional family. Uh, so it was, uh, quite an inconsistent, uh, childhood. So, uh, I had a brother with very serious mental health issues, um, and a family that really didn't know how to deal with that. So we grew up quite fractured. Um, and it was also a very fundamental, uh, Christian family. So everything's black and white. And my family just didn't know how to deal with conflict or gray or messy. So it was, Um, It was a really hard upbringing, if I'm honest. So for me, uh, watching that, I'm now in my adult life all about power and control, and I absolutely know where that came from. Uh, It was the family life that I was brought up in. But also as a Western Sydney chick, I didn't see a lot of uh, different options. So it was very, you know, you got married, you had two kids, you, if you're a smart girl, you went and you studied law or a doctor, you know, the boys might've done a trade. Like it was just that very traditional path. And it really wasn't until age 33 when I divorced and kind of threw everything up and knew that my parents wouldn't speak to me potentially um, as a result of that decision because of their, um, their own personal commitment. Um, I then, I kind of reassessed everything And I looked at, well, that's what I knew then, but adult me, what does she want and what do, what, what is she capable of? Um, And I grew up very much with a, you're not enough mentality. And also that you put the mask on and you just say to the outside world, this is how it is. Um, And I really had to strip that away because I think part of what I do, interestingly, with money is very vulnerable. Mm. Um, And if I'm not willing to share my story, I used to find my clients were not willing. It was hard for them to sit in that vulnerable state themselves. You know, Lauren and I used to laugh that we used to have a packet of tissues on the desk when we were financial advisors because invariably at least every second person would cry. Yes. (laughs) Like it's just a really, there's a lot of uh, toxicity. There's a lot of emotion wrapped up with money. Um, So, yeah, that's part. That was that was my that was my start, if you like. Yeah, the the understanding of that vulnerability, and I imagine that point in time to go, okay, now I've, it's all up in the air. Strip back. Who am mm. I? What does that look like? Um, 
is a really key pivotal. It's that whole disruption breeds innovation, right? Like the yeah. options and opportunity in in the pit of uncertainty often that can really come about. You studied accounting. Mm. What was it that pulled you into accounting? Uh, well, if I if I said to my 13 or even my 16-year-old self, you were going to study accounting one day, I would just I know for a fact that I would just go into the corner and cry. It's certainly not what I wanted for my life. <laughs> uh, so I, I Do you have a sense know. of what the 13 and 16-year-old wanted instead? Oh, my gosh. So initially they wanted to be a hairdresser or, or something creative um, and then – as my grades were good at school, my dad just really funneled me into law and and he said, you know, you love arguing. And I, I'm that person that just wanted to please. I'm the eldest child. So I studied law um, straight off school and it was only three years into that that I realised I hated it. And I so was worried about uh, letting my dad down and telling him that when he said, well, that's fine, but why don't you look at accounting? There's law in accounting. And he was an accountant um, that I went, fine, I'll just do that. Uh, and it's it, it's really interesting. I look at the first, I look in my 20s and I was so, my 20s were all about how can I make other people happy? How can I please them? Um, and my 30s and since, it's almost been how undoing that um, and now it's about showing others how they can do that and it's it's such an interesting conversation we're having because so much of this work is goals work financially so much of this work of actually figuring out what you want to do is the path to great finances rather than how much should I be saving it's like it's the wrong question and it's the deeper work uh, it's why I often say to some people when we're looking at money mindset, part of this might, might involve a chat to a psychologist or a therapist because how you're interacting might be from deeper things that maybe you need to go there and pull out the root and look at that so that you can have a better relationship with money. It is this, uh, it's the stories that we tell, it's the stories that we've carried, it's the vulnerability, there's a high emotion, um, yeah. which is why it's really hard. It's like, if you can just tell me how much to put into this bank account, yeah. I don't even <laughs> ever have to talk about what I want from That'd it or what. so much <laughs> cleaner, it'd be so <laughs> much nicer. <laughs> and then it didn't work and it's your fault and not mine. Yeah. And <laughs> exactly, the end, which is why, you know, when yeah. Scott Pape brought out the Barefoot Investor, mm. people clung to that like a life raft and I get it you yep. know it's he dictated do this get this account put your money here and people were so grateful and I love that Scott did that um, I love that that people was talking about money but the reason people uh, that either not long lasting or they did a bit but not all of it is because it's not personal it's not well what's actually right for me you know yes everyone should be able to save a certain percentage of their wage, depending on what that is. Everyone should be able to spend less than they earn and save for the long term. And yet we know that cigarettes are addictive and we drink more than we should. And even when it comes to smart decisions around superannuation, we don't necessarily make them if it's if it's left to us. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to money, it's understanding, well, what's behind that? What's the driver? What's my motivator? 
so that I can make those great decisions. You talk a lot about those important money stories and in particular about money personalities. Talk to me a little Mm. bit about what you see, what you notice when it comes to the the personality that you bring to the decisions and the conversations around money. Yeah, well, money's story for me is nurture. That's that's how you were brought up. Um, that's the, the stories that you carry as a result of your parents or what happened to you throughout your life um, or through society or peers, etc. But the money personalities, I believe there's four distinct money personalities and we're all a hybrid of those. Um, and I liken it to in the same way that I'm an introvert, So I wake up in the morning with my five gold coins, you know, the analogy in every interaction in the day, I lose a gold coin. I'm super depleted at the end of the day. I can be situationally extroverted, but if I was to try and do that all the time, I would absolutely be burnout, adrenal fatigue, the lot. Um, And I know that because I've tried. Um, And I think the money personalities, I believe the money personalities are the same from how I've seen clients behave and have them go, oh my gosh, that makes sense to me. So I believe we have an inherent way of behaving financially. And once we figure out that, once we work out how we naturally are inclined to behave, then we can create the habits that are right for us rather than trying to pigeon ourselves. And when it comes to relationships, for example, money's Relationships Australia says money is the number one thing we fight about and we fight about it twice a month. Part of that, I believe, is A, gender messaging, but also it's we often we think our partner's doing money wrong. And it's not that they're doing money wrong. It's that they have different money stories than you and a different money personality potentially. So, for example, um, I'm thinking of one particular client I had where he was a discerner and she was a relator. He's very pragmatic, very strategic. She's very empathetic, just wants to rescue, you know, leads with that. He thinks she overspends on the wrong things. She thinks he's really hard-headed and and unfair. Um, But once they understood where they were coming from, they were able to have that understanding rather than judgment. And I know when COVID hit, uh, they had to make the harsh decision about what do they do with their nanny. Um, and he was able to say to her, I know because you're a relator money type, you're going to want to keep her, but we can't afford to. And she said, I know you're the discerner and you're just going to want to cut her because it makes financial sense. And so they, they came with understanding. So they decided to meet in the middle so that neither one, um, but they both felt okay about the decision. And so for me, that's why money, personalities and money stories are so important. It's you understand yourself and you also understand how you relate to the people around you. So important to be able to open up those those conversations and give it a language to be able to understand that. Why do you Mm. think money is such a taboo topic, particularly for women more than men? So I think, oh gosh, there's so many reasons. I think part of it is it was, we were told when we were younger that some things are just not polite to talk about. Um, And money, sex, religion, you know, those are three big ones. And as women too, I think we're also told that you want to be nice and you want to be polite. You know, that's that's kind of the epitome. You want to be nice. And so if we want to be nice girls, then we're not going to want to bring up things that make people feel uncomfortable. So we don't want to talk to it. I also think that we've been brought up with a notion that having too much money is unfeminine. 
that it's actually not okay for women to hold too much money, that that's, it's just not attractive. Um, and yet that's part of the reason why 450,000 women in their 40s are at risk of homelessness, why women over 55 are at most at risk, because we're not willing to have those conversations, because we aren't willing to, um, to do the thing that puts ourselves first. And I think when it comes to families as well, women then will want to put everyone first and often not and put themselves last. So they see things like, well, if I've started a business, I'm not going to contribute to super because I want the money to go towards the family. They see a lot of these financial decisions as really inherently selfish. Where part of my job is to educate, to say, actually, it's selfless to do that. Because if you're not putting your financial oxygen mask on first, that's problematic. Um, I think COVID has changed it a little. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that when COVID hit, we realised that we needed to care about money. We realised we needed to look after ourselves financially. I saw so many breakups happening during COVID where it quickened that and women realising for the first time they needed to understand about, understand about money when they didn't have a language for it. So I definitely think that's changing, but there is 100% still a stigma there. Um, the other thing I, the other reason I believe is the media talks to men and women differently. Mm-hmm. So Starling Bank Research did a, a study where they looked at a whole lot of articles written uh, towards men and women. That 90% of the articles written towards are written towards men were. You know, money makes you more of a man and to use fear and control when it comes to money. To women, two-thirds of the article were that we're overspenders and this is how to be more frugal. And is it any wonder then that as women we don't believe that we're necessarily great with money and that we're over, like we just kind of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So then there's shame involved and we stop talking about it. Um, so we I mean, a long answer, but I think there's so many reasons why we're not talking about it. All of those are really important. I'm not, particularly that last one where you talk about, because what comes to mind for me is a sense of scarcity. And I think a lot of people listening would go, okay, if I'm going to talk about money, it's about how I need to tighten the reins. I need to have a tighter budget. That doesn't sound fun, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) but I've got to restrict and have, like, I've got to make what I've got stretch more. Yeah which is only just a part of the money conversation. What else do we need to add to that? So part of – so when COVID hit and in Australia, uh, the government allowed you to pull 10,000 out of super. So many people did, like millions of Aussies did that. Uh, Two-thirds, so about 67% of women spent that on, uh, on wants and needs, so they didn't put it aside for any day. The number one thing women spent that money on clothes and shoes so that just made me so cranky um but it is that what that made me realize at the time is people know how to tighten their belts women know how to tighten their belts they don't know how to find more income uh and so what I did as a result of that is I did a free webinar that was 50 plus ways to find ten thousand dollars in 12 months and I've ran that again and again and again since and I'll make sure there's a link for that Mm. for you Because what I realised from that exercise, it was like the government did a um, survey result for me. I was like, ooh, research, (laughs) interesting. (laughs) Is it made me realise that people didn't understand how to, women particularly didn't understand how to find more cash. And as you said, 
yes, you can tighten your belt, but there's only so far it will tighten. We need to understand how to find more income as well. And there are so many ways you can do that. You don't, and it doesn't just have to be a second job or a side hustle. There are so many ways, either from using technology through to doing surveys online, through to one of the ways strips out your whole cost of housing, um, which a good friend of ours is doing at the moment. Like there's so many things that you can do uh, to find more income. It's just knowing. And because we don't talk about this, we don't share these tips. So that's a free resource. But it's also thinking that in order to invest, I need to have a lot of money. Whereas if you just invested 100 bucks a month uh, for 20 years and received an average return of, say, 7%, which the average share market return over the last 100 years is 11.1, so that 7 is very conservative, you'll, you would have almost $200,000. So it's realising that the power of compound interest in time means that we're not talking large numbers, Um you could use, for example, one of my favorite hacks is using a shop back hack. So like a cash reward site so that when you're shopping online, just your everyday shopping, you're getting paid to shop. Uh, so that's dollars in your bank account. And then you use that to invest. So you're not even using your own money. So there, I've got so many tips and tricks uh, to do that. But again, it's understanding and, and sharing them, which if we're not sharing them, then we, we don't know about them. And having a, it probably comes back to why are you doing it? So what's the goal? Yes. What's the drive? What's that intention? So if we mm-hmm. look at what can happen at the start of a new year um, and in that kind of, I almost feel like a, you know, um, honeymoon or sunrise phase yeah. of January, <laughs> right? We go, right, oh, yes. this year I'm going to do things gonna differently. This is going to be different. <laughs> yeah, this is my year. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those goals are financial if someone is mm. kind of thinking around financial or the goal is a holiday or an investment property mm. or something else um, of which the finances will allow you to give choice and capability around achieving those Mm. what are the behaviors that you see that don't work in terms of financial goals not being successful and what might be the first Mm. first couple of things for people to do if they want to change that oh I love I'm such a goals geek uh so first of all doing something because you think you should is not going to last. You know, if you're sitting there on New Year's Eve and someone says, what do you want for next year? And you just pluck out the, oh, yeah, I want to I wanted to finally do something about money. That's, that's too wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. So it's, for me, it's sitting down the next day or in the lead up to New Year's and saying, what do I actually want from this New Year? So I was um, at a conference in New York many years ago where a woman spoke And she talked about this concept called the best year yet. Uh, And my husband is so not into goals and planning. And I'd always struggled to get him to do something. And once I heard that, I came home and I said, right, we're trying this together. So so this is what I would suggest as a a way to bring intentionality to your goals. Mm. So we sit down separately and we think everything from finance to career to sex to relationships to to fun to personal development a lot 
And we ask the question, what would need to happen in that, in that area in order for this to be our best yet? Because it's not just about finances, because if, if finances don't sit in a silo. My relationships are a bit skewed. That's going to affect my finances because I might lean on some emotional spending. Same with health, same with other things. So it's looking at the whole of it. And then we come back together, we compare notes, and then we create a list of action items from the, the back of it. So it might be that once a month, each of us has to organize a date. It might be that um, I'd prioritized health, so it's about uh, working out four times a week. Uh, for finance, it might be exactly what you said. It might be, oh, by the end of the year, we want to have this much invested, or uh, next year it will be that we want to buy an office for Tone, uh, my husband, and we want to have uh, a chunk of money extra into super. So we've got some really clear uh, goals with finances. But the the best year yet is only part of it. If you don't next follow that up with, and what does that mean for tomorrow? What does that mean for this month and next month? Then if the action items don't come off the back of it, then it's hard to um, follow that up. And then hubby and I every Sunday have something called Communication Sunday. We're such geeks. Because uh, we're really bad communicators, so we just prioritised it. That was on one of our best year yet many years ago, so it's so daggy. But one, on a Sunday, we just look at one another at some point and go, Communication Sunday, and you get out your diary and you share what's happening for the week. But also, where are we up to with that? How are we going? Who's got the date next month? It just gives you that opportunity to get on the same page every single week and means that you're then running together and it doesn't mean that uh we've hit all our financial goals every year some things some years things go off track this year we didn't because hubby was incredibly sick for three months um earlier this year and we didn't know what life would look like for us so we had to really kind of press pause on a few things but it also meant in the last half of the year when we knew he was okay we kind of fire hydrated a, a few things, knowing that that was important and we wanted to finish the year well. Um, so for me, it's, and the only other missing piece to that is knowing what you want in the next five, 10 years. For me, it's looking to the horizon. Usually your significant birthday, your next significant birthday to say, I was sitting next to, to myself, having a drink at my next significant birthday. What would I want to hear? And then that gets brought back to best year yet. That get, gets brought back to your action plan. Um, and that, I think, is the difference between a New Year's resolution, which fades as quickly as a New Year's hangover, mm-hmm. and intentionality around goals. I love that best year yet, next significant birthday, which is just the next one, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and if your next, next, next significant birthday is just say you were 40 next year, it, you might take it to 45, you know, mm. leave enough time. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on, um, and as you were chatting, I was thinking about what about the goals? Because we've, all of us have let ourselves down, right? Absolutely. Goals. And so as yep. much as we go, yep, I've got the conviction, there is a little voice that goes, mm, can you really trust yourself? How mm. do you, what happens when goals are not achieved? How do you speak to yourself? How do you, mm. how do you reset? Um, and you shared a bit about that in terms of your circumstance with your husband, but mm. what, what's the internal narrative that, that allows that not to fall into a shame and why should I bother? Um, I'm going to be honest. I do give myself that internal, or like I have that awful voice that will talk to me that 
that sometimes when that happens gets really loud and just says, ah, see, you couldn't do it. Mm. Um, And I know that voice now because I've worked on her. Um, I know where she's come from. And I'll just, I know how to quieten her down. I know it's dopamine. I know it's fresh air. I know it's also just sitting there and looking at the data and going, you're wrong. Like, yes, that didn't work out now, but let's actually figure out why. So I do an exercise called start, stop, continue, or what went right, what went wrong, where Mm -hmm. I look at, okay. So for example, we didn't hit, as I say, we didn't hit some milestones this year. And I sat down and went, well, what went wrong? Hubby was sick. My entire focus went on him for three months and I just abandoned everything because nothing was more important. And I'm okay with that. But what it did mean is I've now looked at it and gone, okay, I need more people to support me in business and also in life so that if that happens again, which let's face it, we, we, I know we're going to have health problems in the future, that's life, right? Mm. That won't happen again. It won't just be derailed. So it's asking what went wrong and then making a plan for what are you going to do when that happens next time. Um, but also I, I do the exercise around what went right. So what went wrong, what went right? Because I think too often, and I'm, I'm so guilty of this, I'm an all or nothing. I'm a black and white. It's, as I said, that's how that's the, the family I grew up in. So my Lauren who works with me will call each other and we'll go, uh, I'll say this is, you, this is your friend calling so she knows and it's not her boss. And I'll just go, it's all going to crap. It's all terrible. And she just lets me for 30 seconds just absolutely wallow in it. And then I just go, thanks so much for that. I needed it. And hang up. So sometimes it's just leaning into that. It's And you hear the ridiculousness as you do it. Like everything's rubbish. It's just all horrible. And if I do it, if I carry it on, she'll actually call me on it. But we mm. allow ourselves just to have that moment, to have that tantrum, to have that pity party and then go, all right, fine, what are we going to do about it now? Um, And I think, and for me, I really need that. Mm. Um, My husband works with Jess Fox who won gold at the last Olympics in canoe slalom and she talks about having a five-minute cry where, you know, when things don't go right in a race, she goes back and she says, right, she she quite literally put a timer on giving myself a five-minute cry. She really leans into the disappointment and and I think we need to allow ourselves that because otherwise I know I'm so capable of just pushing it down and pushing it down and it will just erupt and it will mean that the shame will will self-combust somewhere down the line. So, so, um, but yeah, that whole exercise for me is how I don't get caught. And, And having great financial habits, I automate absolutely everything that I can. I make it so that my day-to-day finances are not reliant on me. Mm. And by that, I don't have anyone else doing it for me, but things are automated so that uh, I'm regularly investing, I'm regularly contributing to super, I'm regularly donating to charity. It's it's all direct debited and it's not reliant on me. Therefore, you're not making the emotional decision. It's not dependent on whether I'm having a good yeah. day or a crap day or whether <laughs> you feel exactly. I want to kind of improve. That's yep. where it the, the decision was made in a clearer head around goals and and connecting. I love the mm. rant, like the pity party, the five minute rant. Um, yeah, cry. You know, have your five minute cry. We we have a thing called a frustration rant where we'll physically go for a walk around the block, and it's like that's it. You've got the block. 
and get it out, get it out, <laughs> whatever it is, stays on the block. And uh, when you walk it. back in, it's 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 sorted and, and let's go. So mm. I think that permission to allow it to give a voice, and it's freedom yeah. that comes with that to be able to then move on. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and go quite tactical and practical. Mm. Setting goals, great at the start of the year. And often mm. when we're doing that, we're in the middle of summer season here in Australia, um, holiday season. What are some of the holiday spending pitfalls that you've seen and how mm. might you uh, talk to people or what, what, what advice have you got around, around that? So... I actually love sales. Uh, so I'm all for sales, but it's for me, you want to use sales wisely. Um, and with holiday spending, we want to be smart with that. So I'll start with sales first and then I'll look at um, holiday and Christmas. So sales, which we are like, we're inundated with them so often. It feels like every second month, there's a ridiculous amount of, of texts and emails that arrive telling us to buy. So I have a list of the things that I know that that I want to purchase regularly um, or things that I either birthdays or things that I've got coming up. So I use those sales to buy. I've never paid full price for sheets. I've never paid full price for towels. You know, there's just certain things that when I see the sales, I'll buy. Um, and I'll also give myself a certain amount of money where I say that's also your, uh, especially for the end of the year, that's my X amount to spend on the sales. But when that's gone, it's gone. Like that's it. No more. I have rules around, like I won't shop for sales if I've had a glass of wine. Uh, if I'm unsure of something, I'll keep it in my cart for 24 hours. And if it goes, it goes. So think having really clear boundaries over how you shop for sales, because sales can be great, but not if it's actually meaning that it's leaking money out of your bank account. Um, the other thing to be really careful of is using things like after paying credit. So that's part of the issue that I see when it comes to holiday spending and sales spending is credit cards and buy now, pay later is like lube for your spending. So what I mean by that is credit, there's so much research that shows that when we use credit, the insular region in our brain doesn't light up. So we don't feel pain because we're not using our money. So it's not hurting. So once, if we're using a debit card, we have to stop and think, do I have enough money? Do I have this for that? So that lights up that region, which means it, it hurts. So we, we spend less and research often has continuously shown that. So my advice would be to move away from credit. And if you're thinking, but, I, oh, but I'll miss out on the points, you're overspending to get the points. So I think about 10% of people can handle credits. 90% need to be off it. And that's, I, my hand is firmly up with that as well. Um, Afterpay and, and buy now, pay later is that step further where so many people argue with me that it's a budgeting tool and I don't get charged interest. On Afterpay's own website, the reason they can charge such a high merchant fee is because you will overspend. So they used to have, their stat used to be that you'll spend 40% more. It's now that you'll spend 20% more. So that's essentially like having a 20% interest rate because you're overspending. Um, and if you think about it, it's from a psychology, uh, a pricing psychology effect called framing. So 
I was, if I'm spending 100, I'd never intend to spend 120. I'd never physically, mentally go over that. Yet I have no problem moving from 25 to 29. And that's why we're overspending. We're only thinking about the repayment. We're not thinking of the total amount. Um, and the other part with holiday and silly season spending is, for me, it's understanding the the emotion behind that spending. You know, with silly season spending, um, which I know we're past now, but whenever there's that emotional, whether it's holidays or there's something else behind it, it often is that, oh, look, it's been a tough year. I just want to go and have a good time or I just want to show people I love them. And it's realising that actually we don't need to be spending money to, to show that. And if that's your money story, that the amount spent on holidays or the amount spent um, off equals the how much I love them. It's about acknowledging that and rewriting it. But I'm a fan of even old school holiday um, bank accounts so that you're saving money for that during the year. Um, if you're going to Queensland or somewhere, for example, it's sitting the kids down and going, so we're going here, but just so you understand, there's no money for theme parks. So you know, just being really upfront and setting boundaries. Because I've had parents say to me, but I can't go to Queensland and not go to a theme park. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, who's in charge? Like, who's driving the car? Um, and I think, yes, pester power is real, but it's sitting down and setting boundaries around it so that you can enjoy that holiday without the financial headache that's going to come at the end of it. So you can enjoy those sales and still um, have the power of the sales, but without the financial headache at the end. Planning intention. And yeah, again, it comes back to understanding the money story that sits behind it. What, what's yeah. driving that? What's the story that I'm telling that my kids might think if I'd say no to a theme park? Mm -hmm. and, and being really honest and, and confronting with that. And again, it's Googling it, what free things are in that area. There's so many free things you can do. Um, or even in your local area, if you've decided to have a staycation. Like we went to our local library um, and there was this amazing setup in Sydney called Kill or Cure, where they've set it up like a hospital and you get to go and you get to find out, you know, what happened back in the day. And the, um, this, it's done so freaking well. Uh, I reckon it would be a thing that some kids particularly would love completely free hubby and I spent a good hour and a bit in there geeking out on it so whilst that might not be for everyone there's so much free stuff if we took if we took the time to find it did you decide to kill or cure <laughs> <laughs> it depends on it depends. the day it depends on the day <laughs> we're going back I've got some killing today <laughs> So true, and um, and more it is that that time and and really presence that yeah, again come back to the stuff that's free, but mm. what's the the freedom that comes with it? We can have a plan around goals, and we can be automating and doing things, and uh, the financial environment, the economic environment, is agile as well. Yes, we're seeing that yep. here um, in terms of interest rate rises. What are some of the trends that you? think will come our way or that we need to pay attention to in 2023? So there are a number of things. Uh, so interest rates, which is something you've mentioned, uh, certainly I think there will be a continue of interest rate rises. 
Um, and that's something that many economists are talking about. So uh, a lot of people, every time there's an interest rate rise, will message me and say, do you think that's it? And every time I say no, mm-hmm. um, because we're still in a high inflation environment. And until that inflation is under control, we are going to see interest rate rises. That's just the nature of the time we're living in. So it's doing, it's A, being aware of that and then B, doing something about it. So if you know those interest rate rises are coming, my suggestion would be to, to pay, uh, to go onto an, a mortgage calculator and pay an extra, figure out what the, uh, the rate would be if it was 1% to 3% more and then pay as if it was already that. But to pay the difference into your offset account rather than onto the mortgage. And by doing that, A, it means you're building a buffer, but it also means when interest rates rise, you feel comfortable knowing, well, I'm already budgeting for this. I'm already acting as if they're there. Um, And it means that, yes, that might mean you need to make decisions around instead of your kids doing three different sports or three different activities, they do two or one. Um, But you can start to proactively do something about that rather than being caught on the back foot going, oh, I don't know how to make that work. The other thing um, that you can do proactively about that is ask your bank for a home loan rate decrease. So if you have got 20% or more equity and if you've had your home loan for more than 12 months, you need to do that. It's my one hot tip that I tell anyone with a mortgage. Um, People that have done my course where we give them scripts and support to do it see an average rate drop of 0.5%. So a whole rate cut, it's massive. But the other thing uh, that I see is still that in, that uh, inflationary pressures, wage pressures, which is leading to things like share market uncertainty and uncertainty with the property market. So whilst it's not, I'm not sitting here with a crystal ball, I will say that definitely from the media, we are going to hear a lot of noise about property crashes and share market crashes. And what I want to say to that is no one has a crystal ball and no one can predict that for sure. At the beginning of COVID, economists and the media were almost to a person saying that the property was going to crash. It actually, in Australia, rose by an average of 40%. So with that, there's a couple of things. One, if we do get a contraction, And yes, with interest rates, rises going up, there could be either a softening or a contraction. And you know what? With a 40% increase, that's necessary. You know, it can't keep going up. But if you are looking to refinance or if you're on a fixed rate mortgage and that's going to come off, then you need to be speaking to a mortgage broker sooner rather than later because the problem that you might find is if that 20% equity is starting to, if you're starting to go into less than 20% equity territory, it may be harder for you to refinance that loan. If interest rates keep going up, it will be it may be harder for you to refinance that loan. So speak to a mortgage broker even before those rates come off or that loan switches over so that you've got a plan and you're prepared. You know, they might say you need to find an extra 10 grand worth of income or you're going to have to find some more cash and that gives you time to find that. Um but it also means that for someone looking to, to buy, the question I'm getting asked a lot at the moment is, should I wait? Um, and my answer to that is always, it's about time in the market, not timing the market. So if you are looking for that long-term investment, which property and shares should be, then it is a, a matter of, well, 
Maybe I've bought it at the peak, maybe I've bought it at the chuff, but if it's a long-term time frame, it really doesn't matter as long as I can afford to hold it for that long-term time frame, which is about paying uh, more than the interest rate. But the other thing I would do uh, in a time of rising interest rates, if I was looking to get into uh, the market, is speak to a mortgage broker and get pre-approval early because that pre-approval will often ask you last year for three months. If you get three months worth of interest rate rises, that means your borrowing capacity is going to drop for each of those three months. So therefore, you may not be able to, you might need a bigger deposit, which then becomes that chicken and egg, you know, that cycle where you can, you might find that you miss out. Um, but at least it doesn't mean you have to spend that amount, but at least it gives you choice because you've done something about it early. So there are probably some three big things that I see coming. Really practical. Ask the questions, have the conversations and be prepared. Do you have a sense of how how often that might be useful? So the two specifically mm. I go going to your bank and about that rate um, decrease. Yeah. We recently did that with our bank and um, got the rate decrease. Of course, that's gone up again since then. So yep. is that a once a year, twice a year, yes. once every three months? And then once same with the mortgage broker. So once a year? Yeah, so once a year I would go to my – so your mortgage broker gets a commission, uh, so you want them to work for you. So once a year I would go to them and say what's the best uh, – A, ask for a rate drop, what can you do for me, um, and B – is there a better deal that I can have? Because there's, it's like your phone plan. You know, every time I go to look at my phone plan, it's almost always cheaper. There's usually some incentive to get in. So often my price drops and it's the same with your mortgage. It might be that what we discovered um, a lot in the plan is in my course is that sometimes if the bank said no, the person would go through the exercise of starting to apply for a loan and your bank then gets told that, you know, this is happening, often the bank would then reach out and go, oh, hang on, we're prepared to do something now because it looks like you're prepared to leave. So once a year, I'd put a date in your diary with your mortgage broker to say, right. And what I do, so I've got a business banking manager that looks after me. I just go to them and my, my statement to them is I just need you to sharpen your pencil and I want to know what the best deal is you can get me. I don't say this is what I want. I leave it to them to come to me because often it will be, I can't move too much on rates, but hey, I can get rid of these fees. Um, and the end result is always that I'm financially better off. Putting it in my calendar as you say. Excellent. <laughs> you mentioned shares and property and again, mm -hmm. part of um, financial literacy is understanding what they are uh, and which ones that I should go to. If someone's right at that point of going okay, I've got some goals, haven't really explored investing, not sure now's mm. the right time, media's telling me no, both mm. look poor. <laughs> where, where do we start? So you, you want to start by being interested in the same way that you would start by being interested in anything. So whether that's, you know, you're shopping for a, a, an outfit for uh, a wedding and whether you, you know, that, that might not be natural for a lot of people. It's like, oh, I have to buy the one-off dress. I, I've got friends that go, get so stressed with that process. Like if you can do that, oh, my gosh, it's the same It's the same concept. It's figuring out what the right platform, let's start with shares, um, figuring out what the right platform is, understanding my risk profile. There's this, uh, there is a bit of a misnomer that 
uh, A, women aren't great investors. You know, 93% of Americans in a fidelity research piece said that men were better investors than women, and yet multiple, including a Warwick Business School, longitudinal studies actually show the reverse, that women outperform men because they don't want to risk the house. So we're often quite, we come at it quite conservatively, and that's one of our strengths. So what I would say is you want to start by researching. Um, There are so many apps, there's so many ways that we can invest really cheaply and easily um, by as much as one cent a trade. You know, we can use roundups, we can use cashback, um, or we might just do like a standard $500 a month. But you want to start by research. So that might be free. So the Australian stock market, the Australian Stock Exchange has got a free game that you can play to see uh, how you feel about shares. I've got classes um, that you can take for 90 minutes where I just, it's called uh, an introduction to share investing and then property buying and investing. And it's just a very simple, with the share investing, what's the three different types uh, of investing in shares? How, what does a share platform look like and how do I pick one? How do I make money from shares? Just really de-jargons and demystifies it. And the property one is the same. Do, should I even buy my own home? Questions like we talked about today around negotiating interest rates, investment properties. And then I give three different options around, well, what if you just paid off your mortgage and that was it, which is a very Australian thing to want to do? Or what if I paid off my mortgage and started investing? Uh, And I use the same amount of money the whole time, so it's not extra money. And then the third one is, what if I did everything in option two, but in option three, I also bought investment property after a decade. And I just show in black and white the difference that each one makes so that you can look at it and go, ah, that's why I would want to do it. That's a significant amount of money extra if I was to get uncomfortable and learn about uh, investing. Really practical and useful too. And I love that sense of just doing the research, getting interested, starting. That's what takes the, um, not takes the emotion out of it, but but you can start to then get a bit more discerning on what that looks like. Is there a rhythm? We haven't talked about it too much, but I I Mm. know that you talk about financial wellness is just as important as physical fitness, mental wellness, yep. those sorts of things. And and you mentioned mm. the the stats around Relationship Australia and just how critical that, you know, financial conversation is. Mm. So what I'm thinking is that investing time into our finances is really important. How yeah. much time, week, month, how important? And obviously that's it's, it depends, but yeah. if someone's going, I've had my head in the sand, I know bits and pieces, I kind of mm. loosely know a few threads of my finance, but at the end of each month I, I'm still looking for more or, you know, feeling a bit lost, what would be a recommendation in terms of the amount of time to invest in looking at it, thinking about it? Yeah, so what you might do is you might uh, – what I tend to do with that sort of thing where I'm wanting to geek out is you might do a deep dive early. So it might be for a month or two, you decide, you know what, I'm going to spend a few hours a week really getting my head around this, um, either through a course or just my own learning or reading or listening to podcasts. I'm really going to spend some time for a couple of months. And then after a couple of months, I'm then going to spend an hour a week. 
I'm going to take myself out on a Friday morning or a what have you. I'm going to sit down with a coffee and I'm going to spend an hour going, right, so what's my action this week? And I think an hour a week should be or oodles, especially when you first start. Um, and then it might simply be an hour a month because you've set everything up. You've got great automations. You've got great habits. And it's more a check-in than a to-do. But that hour a month might still be, I still want to spend an hour a month because I want to make sure I can negotiate deals for bills that have come in that month and just really prioritize to make sure that I'm not just spending by default, I'm being intentional. Maybe you've learned about ethical investing and spending. And so that's suddenly become important to you. And so that hour a month gets spent looking at a different thing that you're spending money on every month, for example. Um, So I would suggest that particularly early on, it might be a right in order to set up me for success, it might be more, but then it'll be that gradually that will lessen so that eventually I I want to say an hour a month should be Starks. Deep dive, get to know it early. Um, I know for me personally, I mean, so many of those stories growing up, so many of those, um, and I, I probably had a really good kind of platform with my parents, but they were both government workers, just got a paycheck. My dad yeah. was probably the last of those, stayed in the one career, same, mm-hmm. same organisation for 47 years. Wow. Uh, you retire and he just happened to be on a really good New South Wales government pension. <laughs> like, so, mm-hmm. The old school which pension, is no, the, yeah. no longer the case, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't shy away from it, but it certainly wasn't something that um, I really had – I've learned over the last five, six, seven years to become much better at looking at it. And seeing mm. money as money, it's just, it just is objective. It's not good or bad. It just is. Exactly. And mm-hmm. to be able to sit with that has been so powerful um, in creating that and Two years ago, my husband and I sat down and we actually developed a treasure map. So for us was actually, and for me, pulling all of those threads together, shares, investments, um, super, what have we got, what's going in? And that's now a once a month review where we'll sit down and go, what is going on? How does this Mm. fit with our goal? What's going to happen? Doesn't mean that I don't, um, we only had a conversation just this morning around money and, you know, a... um, a particular bank account needed to be topped up and where that money came from and it was such an emotional response for me um, mm. in that conversation. Darren's, Darren's just like, well, it just needs to be topped up. And I'm like, yeah, but it's where it's come from and it's not okay. And <laughs> yeah. So it still has yeah. that wrestle but it's still it's um, so useful to invest and spend that time. You've talked a lot about, you know, coming back to those, well, what do you want, what does money mean to you? Uh, what do you want from life and really crafting that? If someone was mm. to come to you and go, okay, I'm ready to invest in this, what are yep. the first number of questions that you ask them? What's your jumping off point? So if someone came and said, right, I, I'm I'm ready to start sorting out money, I would absolutely start with their money story and money uh, money personality. I truly believe that if you, and in my course we spend, that's why we spend the first two weeks there. Um, and it's funny because I've had uh, I've had so many accountants uh, go through my course because you know it's the whole thing with builders and houses and mechanics mm-hmm. and cars. And often they'll say we thought the first two weeks were just going to be such woo and we were just ready to ignore it. 
But actually that's the most valuable uh, thing that we've never taken the time to do that for ourselves and that was worth it alone. So I absolutely would start there. But then what, what I see too many people doing is starting and finishing there. You know, that's safe. Oh, that's fun. That's interesting. I get to discover who I am. But there's no getting away from what's next is you've got to acknowledge what money's coming in, what money's going out, to face what debt you have, to look at, um, to make a plan for that, uh, to look at what assets you have or what you don't have. And sometimes that's confronting, particularly if you've been on a great income and you don't have anything to show for it. Um, And then it's, well, where do I want to go? How do I get there? Um, And then to learn about investments, to learn about investing would be next. I think to learn about investing first before you figured out where you are and where you want to go is tricky because, well, what, what should I invest in? How much should I invest in? Well, the answer is it depends until you figure out where you want to be and and at what age do you want to be Um, and then finally the financial habits that will take you to that place so the ones that the general ones that everyone should have so multiple bank accounts and automating through to the ones that actually are specifically right for you so that's that's the path I would uh, take people down where it's a very personal path it's not just a do a budget do this do that it's I believe that approach is transformational. Hugely to be able to dive into those money stories, be able to see them and call them out for when they when they show up because they will continue mm. to do that, to be able to have a language to go, oh, that's where that emotionality comes behind or this sense of I might lose it all or um, I have to tighten the purse strings or tighten my belt right at a time when I want to, you know, self-care and invest in myself which costs mm-hmm. money what yep. comes up with all of that is um is really key I love that feedback around your accountants coming going ah so that cool. was really critical but then we've also had the woo uh peeps and um there's one actually that we received an email for this morning where she was a single mum and she was really she was really freaking out uh when she joins you know it's not a small amount of money but it's also she didn't necessarily see hope. She didn't have any sense of agency around it. And we have a challenge inside uh, the course around finding 10K. And again, we give a lot of support and encouragement and people share. She emailed today to say she hit it at, at month seven. She can't believe that she, she can find more income. She never thought she had that ability. But she said, what I know is A, I can do it faster than I thought and B, next year I'm going for 20 like it's just to go from hopelessness to I could make 20 grand in a year like that's that's the sort of stuff that gives me chills because it's yes it's about understanding who you are but it's also having the skills to make a difference to your circumstance and that's what I get super excited and and geek out on because it's the results the belief and the conviction that sits behind that. I got goosebumps when you talked about yeah, that as well. Right? It's just like, because mm. I know that I can. So then what else can that, and what and can I do with shares, that money? And because she shares, other people then see it and go, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. And it's that whole, uh, as we said, people don't talk about money, but yet it, it's an, a different environment where they feel comfortable. And then we encourage them to take those conversations out. Go tell others that you can do that. Go tell your girlfriends, great, let's do this challenge together. So then it it becomes 
something that flavors that whole relationship. But do it in a way that, that connects with you. I'm going to go slightly different tack, but this is related. You talk a lot mm. about crafting a life by design, knowing yourself yeah. really well and having a sense of conviction about it. I have followed you on social and admired what you've done for a while and know that you've openly talked about the, ch- the choice of being child-free. Uh, mm. And to me, that's an example of the clear conviction of life by design what has helped you get to that conviction Mm. and how do you deal with and I imagine there's societal pushback are you sure (laughs) (laughs) I'm just guessing maybe but but, you know how about you have a baby and then see (laughs) and the same is true with money but it's you know it's the it's the conviction of going this is the kind of life what I want not what I think society or what my friends are doing or what other business people Mm. are doing at this point in their business journey and so for me, uh, when I threw, when I left my my then husband at age thirty three, uh, I was extraordinarily broken uh, before that. Like if I look at my twenties, it was absolutely a time of brokenness, and I decided um, not at that moment, but gradually over time, that I was going to live the life that I wanted. Not that I wasn't going to live to. I was going to try not to live to please others. I was going to more and more have the courage to live the life I wanted. Um, And I didn't realise that not having kids was a choice. Now, I grew up in, as I said, western suburbs of Sydney. The only people that I knew that didn't have kids uh, were a couple that then fostered or a single uh, woman who didn't have kids. And I just equated that to, well, that's that's why. Uh, So first, Hubby and I... uh, that that was what we thought we would have like that was very much the plan and I'm very grateful that we didn't um but I talked to my husband my now husband very early on to say look I don't think this is something I want so if you want them I really need to know um and I'm grateful that he didn't but the reason I talk about that is because I think too many people are living a life by default where it's just, well, what's the next step? And we always ask, you know, if someone gets married, we're very quick to say, and when are you having kids? If someone has one kid, we're very quick to ask, and when are you bringing on, along a sister or a brother for little uh, little ex? Uh, when you start a business, there's always a next question. And part of that is all, that becomes a pressure then to then conform, because often those next question is a conforming question. And we don't do it maliciously, but it is that, you know, this is just what you do. And part of the reason I share my decision not to have kids is because I believe when you can live the life that you choose, that you want, that's right for you, there's power in that. And it, in, in, it then infects all parts of your life. You know, I, I know that I'm a better person for not having kids. Could I have been a good mom if I'd had them? Probably. Um, uh, my husband and I saw something recently that you could get a virtual baby. I sent it to him the article and went, oh, that's probably, that's, you know, when that happens, sure, maybe that's <laughs> what we're capable of. We can have an off switch. But we don't even have a pet. Like I don't even yeah. have uh, the the dog or cat um, substitutes. But, yeah, I think too many people are living a life by default. And it's not to say that having kids, not having kids is right for everyone. And my sister has three children. Um, It's totally right for her, but 
my thing is always about choice. What's right for you? Are you living the life that you want or are you living the life that someone else says? And I give the example of kids, but it could be I'm having this, my life look a particular way through how I dress or the house that I have to live or the suburb or the the school my kids get sent to because otherwise what would people think? And I think the more you can care less about what other people think, the more freedom you have, the more choice you have, and and it's liberating financially and otherwise. But, oh, my gosh, I had – it's interesting. I had my mother uh, – I have a very fractured relationship with my mother uh, for many reasons, and one of them is she can't relate to me without having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, she once said to me, I don't know how you can turn your mother hard off, and she thinks that uh, – I think if I was a bloke it would be very different. She looks at what I do and she says that's – she says, you're very busy. I'm like, well, my sister's very busy. I'm just very busy with other things that fill me up. Like it's very, it, there's a very judge, I think there's a very judgmental thing. Um, but also I reckon weekly I would get, but who would look after you in your old age? Um, you'll never know love until you have children. Like it was almost the, the most horrible things people would say, thinking that they're being lovely to try and push you into their choice. And so in the end, I, if, if I was having a bad day, I would just either say back, well, how do you know your kids are going to, uh, not going to move away and look after you? Um, or, uh, you know, I, I know plenty of people that have kids and I don't know that they, uh, that is the, is, is love because I've like my, um, my niece is in, works in their, uh, protective services, you know, not everyone should have children. So if I'm feeling mean, I'll parrot stuff back. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm getting uh, told those things less now. Obviously, I look old enough that, <laughs> that, uh, that people don't presume. But interestingly, my husband's never been told any of those things. My husband's never been questioned. And if anything, blokes say to him, in another life, I wouldn't have either. Uh, wow. So I find he's treated very differently than I am. But... Uh, the other thing I found really interesting is that lots of women, uh, particularly pre-socials, would contact me and say, could we have a coffee? I don't know anyone that hasn't had kids and I just want to understand because I think maybe this is for me and I'm getting so much pressure. Um, so I want to have a conversation with someone that's chosen it, which I would always, I always used to say yes to because I, wish, I used to wish that I'd had that as well. Which is, which is just the help for that conviction of this is the kind of life, the, the design that I want to live. I just feel like you've been in the pressure cooker of. <laughs> oh, my God. Unfortunately. It was, it was horrible. It really yeah. was. And, you know, I we did have a pregnancy scare early on, my husband and I. Uh, and when people say to me, you know, do you think you'll ever regret it? The devastation I had for that 48 hours when I thought I was pregnant, I think it was uncontrollable crying. It was like it. If I needed to understand, if I knew that I'd make the right choice, I had that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Just got that tucked away to tap back exactly. into going, exactly. No, no, it's good. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think like anything, you know, there's probably people to look over the fence during seasons of their life and go, God, that must be nice. I'm sure I've got very good friends that have kids. I'm sure there'll be moments where maybe they're working their child down the aisle or those special moments where I'll look and go, gee, that must be nice, but it's not enough for either of us to ever want to reverse our choice. Yeah, the, the, 
the ability to get really clear and going, no, this is right for me. Um, mm. As you say, it's just that there is extra layer for women around children oh, and the, yeah. the heat and the opinions that will come yeah. with that, which is... Selfish is probably my favourite. Whereas you're being it, selfish. I'm being yeah, selfish, wow. not. And especially, uh, so my husband's a physio, we, we had someone try to argue to us once that because we were both, uh, because of both of our backgrounds, uh, it was selfish for us not to. I'm like, come on. Like, it's just extraordinary. Whereas I see... Uh, and I've, when people have really got into it with me, my trump card is, well, I think it's a selfish choice to have children, but anything's a selfish act, right? And I don't mean that disparagingly. I think you're, as you're bringing a child in because you want to pass on your genes and to love someone. I mean, that's a selfish act. It's not bad, but if we're going to, if we're going to play selfish, then it plays both ways. So Yeah. Oh yeah. god, so many. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> almost, Ali's we... like, please don't send me hate mail. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm really I'm happy to sit in the the uncomfortable conversations because it's mm. often it's a reflex, right? It's a societal reflex yes. as opposed to actually sitting in it and going, oh no, actually that's interesting. And if we come, even coming full circle to the start of this conversation, was it's okay to get clear on what you want? The, yes being self-interested, in selfish, self-invested, mm. financially, relationship-wise, happiness-wise, what's going to yeah. serve me is really clear because it's different. Like I've, I've got two kids, 15 and 13, my 15-year-old. Like we've, we have programmed our kids that they are out of home as soon as they <laughs> leave school. I and that, that is not the narrative of the current high schooler, right? Like that's, that's that so is funny. so against. But we have already told them if they're not out, we won't be home. Like that is just <laughs> like we will not be there. We've got a world to see. Um, no. So my son is now like figuring out and he came home the other day. He's going, oh, my friends are going to stay. We are on the Gold Coast. We're, he's going to stay on the Gold Coast, but I'm not allowed to. And I'm like, damn straight, you're not allowed to. <laughs> Time to get out. There's, there's things to go and do. Um, yeah. But it's that... It's, it, you know, is that selfish? It's, it's yeah. knowing Which someone would important. totally argue that it would, was. Yeah. But it, yes. it's, again, understanding what's right for you, mm. uh, understanding what's going to work. You've, you've set those intentions very clearly, like no one's going to be <laughs> uncertain that that's going to happen. And I think it, it is definitely then doing uh, what's appropriate. And, uh, yeah. I, it's very funny this notion of, but what should we be doing? And I think that whole notion of you can shoot all over yourself, you can work so hard to keep everyone pleased around you, and yet you're the one that ends up not being okay as a result. Um, so I love that you shared that. I I love that I that notion. It's fantastic. <laughs> he's got two years, maybe two and a half, and then he's out. <laughs> and he's out. <laughs> um, but I just, I, you know, that comes into my value of travel and adventure and go and make mistakes and go and I, I don't need to see them and like that's, yeah. that's what the, 
the big life adventure and of course I'm going to be here and of course you'll be of course. picked up along the way but um, yeah. not yeah, not not rescued along the way. You, mm. There is so many things and we've touched on a couple of the resources that people can connect in. We'll have those available. You're the author of four books including how um, – how to unfuck my finances, which I love. You've got an amazing mm-hmm. podcast, and you talk to the program that you run, which is my financial adulting plan. Is that it correct? Is. Yep. Mm. So, so many ways that people can continue this conversation. You've just invested nearly an hour into it, so keep the investment going. Mm. Mel, if I come full circle, the name of this podcast mm. is called Standout Life. Ties mm. a bit into what we were saying. But for you personally, when you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? For me, uh, I love that quote around, you know, we, we get one go at this one big, beautiful life. Um, and I've got a birthday uh, coming up soon. So that is even more meaningful to me. But a standout life doesn't mean for me that it's showy or that I'm pushing myself forward. For me, it's a life with purpose. It's a life with intention. Uh, personally, my values around giving back. So it's leaving uh, a, the world in a better place than before I was here. Um, and to look, I want to be able to look at age 90 or 100 uh, back proudly going, yes, you know, you had the courage of your convictions. You helped people along the way and you had a freaking good time uh, and you were you know, some incredible outfits and shoes while you were doing it. Let's just be clear. (laughs) So a standout life for me is that life that I'm really proud of, that I am 100% intentional. It's never going to be 100%, but I'm as intentional and as purpose-driven as I possibly can. I'd sign up for one of those. Mel, thank you so (laughs) much for sharing your insights and sharing your story. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a conversation with Mel from the practical to the insightful to the profound. When we start to navigate our own financial story, our money story, some of the beliefs maybe that we've been brought up with or haven't been brought up with, there is a level of vulnerability and Mel just holds that space so beautifully. She has really generously shared a number of resources, so we have included those in the show notes. I would encourage you to reach out to Mel, uh, Mel Brown. You can find her on all the socials as well as have a look at her course. It is practical, but you can see where she navigates the psychology of money so early in order to then unlock the shifts and changes of behaviour and the way that we can start to take control and own our own money story. I am really heartwarmed and incredibly grateful at just how generous and open Mel was for her own story, allowing us to hear and I guess see ourselves in her story about what is it from our own upbringing that might weave into our sense of shame or uncertainty, but also how when we own that, we can start to tell a new story and navigate into what's next. So I'm really hopeful as you step into 2023 that you might look at finances and money in a different way and start to increase your own financial literacy. Ask the questions, even if they feel like they're dumb questions, continue to step into what it means for you and also how that might connect 
for you to bring those goals you've got for the year to life. From my perspective, thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. My ask would be that if you could rate and review this podcast, it allows us to bring more extraordinary guests and more depth of conversations into this space and to be able to share that on a much broader platform. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life. Standout Life.